So this is episode uh, episode three. So we're doing it. Yeah. Episode Look at three. This, man. I know. We're already to episode three. It's crazy. And and the first two episodes were pretty, I don't know, esoteric, maybe, maybe esoteric? conceptual. I know, dropping that right there. Conceptual. Right. Yeah. We decided we'd get a little more practical this week, more a little more pragmatic, I guess. Yep. About, yep. Rather than just talking so, about like what the stuff is in theory, what, what it actually means in practice. Right. So we're going to talk about grouping today and how do you think about um, getting students into groups to talk about stuff? Because that was one of the big pieces of our esoteric conversation right. was this idea that, you know, doing science involves, you know, communities of learners. And that means they have, you know, students have to be talking to each other and they have to be talking to each other in, in small groups because that's the best way to do it. So what does that look like across all these potential future plans for different modes of teaching? Yeah. And, and I think that the, the challenge is that, you know, we have schools that are going to be adopting these, you know, it, some of the students will be in class some days and some of the students will be online some days and flip flopping. Um, I think those, those schools who are just doing straight face to face, you know, I, I worry whether they're just going to, you know, because they're worried about, you know, meeting content, like covering content, whether yeah. they're going to just like do, you know, lecture, 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 or, you know, or they're doing it, put them on the worst is putting them here and just lecturing to them. Right. And. Right. And all the kids can turn off their cameras and mute and they're back there like snoring. Yeah. <laughs> not that I've ever done that in a department meeting at all. No, I'm no, sure not. Never. No. But the, the, the challenge is, I would say, in, in a virtual space like here, like this is, we're recording this through Zoom. So when I say here, I guess that I need to define what that is. Um, yeah. But if it, it, I've used the breakout rooms in, in, in Zoom, and I'm sure you have too, um, mm -hmm. but they're, they're not the same. They're not the same as grouping students. Hey, you guys sit at this group. Hey, you folks sit at this table and, and so on. And having them discuss some topic, it's just not the same. Right. 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 For sure. And, you know, I mean, one of the things that, um, that we've been talking about, I mentioned before we started that, so it wasn't in the show. So now I'm going to have to put it in the show <laughs> yeah. that, uh, that next week uh, I'm running a professional development workshop for, for 29 teachers that are across the country that are going to be implementing this new curriculum um, in sometime during the academic year um, that has to do with geohazards. So it has to do with the, the particular modules we're looking at or have to do with wildfires and hurricanes. And, and so we, as a planning group, the PD team have, have started trying to think about how we're going to, you know, how do we exemplify, how do we model these kinds of pedagogies in this environment? And so we've had to get a lot smarter about how these tools work. I don't think we have anywhere near all the answers, but what we didn't want to do is roll into this PD and say, oh, what are you guys doing? You know, we want to, we want to have some um, at least preliminary ideas about how we can think through this stuff, but, uh, but it's complicated and we, we have found it to be complicated, right? Yeah, I did a, uh, a pre-conference workshop for a conference, uh, I'd say maybe like three or four weeks ago, and it was 60 attendees. And so I had them for mm -hmm. four hours. And I will tell you, for planning that four hours in Zoom for 60 people with breakout rooms, I know by the end, 
people were fatigued. There's, you know, that, yeah. that, that concept of Zoom fatigue. I, I, it's real. Mm-hmm. It's real. I've mm-hmm. seen it. I've experienced it. I've seen it mm-hmm. from an instructor side and I've also seen it from a, you know, an actual participant side, like actually trying to sit in and listen to someone speak for a long period of time or having a bunch of back-to-back Zoom sessions. Um, so I think that's going to, there's going to be sort of like some fatigue that our students are going to feel from being in this space. But I still think it's, it's critical that if we want students to talk about science, if, if talking about science is a important part uh, an important practice of science coming back to that that we have to yeah. figure out we have to figure out how to do this and do this well and so you you were t- talked before we got on uh before we started recording about some mm-hmm. principles did you have you guys landed on some principles <clears throat> um s- sort of um i guess before before we talk about that i, I want to take one step back to this challenging sure. thing because i think the i think that's really um you know the zoom fatigue and the idea that one of the one of the really difficult things about zoom um, is that it's a, a low fidelity channel compared to face to face. Well, what does that mean? That means that it's difficult for you to read cues from other people. So things that you would normally be able to do, um, to, to get a sense of, should I talk now? Or is, is Ali about to talk? Should I, am I stepping over him? Like it's much harder in these environments. And I think that's relevant for this talk right now, because we're asking kids to be in small groups and it's, and it, it's, to your point about fatigue, it's very, it's much harder. Like even just sitting and listening to a lecture. Yeah, that's fatiguing. But sitting in a group with other people trying to negotiate work is much more fatiguing because you're, you're kind con- like you, you've got four different windows. You're trying to look at different windows and trying to keep track of people. And that, that is, um, can be exhausting. So I think we have to be realistic about that part too, that this is going to, this is going to be hard for kids and adults to be in, to ask them to do group work in these, in these contexts. So I just wanted to build on what you were saying there and say, yeah, this, that's one of the hard things that I don't think we we've figured out how to deal with yet. I think the other part that's hard about reading the cues is that so many people are using this differently in terms of how they're recording it, how they're framing themselves. So like, I can't tell you the number of colleagues who, you know, show themselves from like the nose up or from the chin up like and it's hard to get all of the cues that you would get whenever somebody like scott's you know framing himself this way and then Mm -hmm. mary is framing herself this way and 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 so on and picking up the cues is hard enough when you're in a small group face to face but then picking them up here when everyone's recording themselves differently everybody is framing themselves differently that's a that's a real challenge with i I think it's important to talk about that, but we're straying a little bit from the the, the grouping concept, right? Well, well I, I, don't I, think I think we, it's. I, I don't think we are because I think it's relevant to. It's sure. Particularly relevant to the groups, right? Um, you know, because well, I, again, like we we talked about this before, but there, there's also the equity issues around, like, well, I may not want my camera on at all, and now if I'm in a small group and my camera's off, like, it gets much harder. Like, we have to we have to figure out what are the norms for groups, like. You know, there are in Zoom, you can raise your hand and you can do stuff like that. Um, so there are ways in theory to sort of work around this, but um, but it's very different again, right? Like if you're going to have a small group of, of four, say four kids, um, somebody has to literally be like a moderator. Like somebody has to say, oh, okay, like Ollie hasn't spoken in a while. I need to hear from Ollie and, or, you know, or Ollie's got his hand up. Let's hear what Ollie has to say, right? And that that doesn't, 
I mean, it should maybe happen in face-to-face classrooms and we don't pay enough attention to it, but now it becomes critically important. Yeah. So one of the things that when I work with, you know, new teachers, uh, I always tell them, you know, that, that you, you create the norms of practice in your classroom. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that when we, you know, establish those rules or establish the norms in your classroom. I think we, we've moved to this without really thinking about what those norms are. We just assume that people can just, you know, move all of the practices they've done in face-to-face and just say, okay, we're going to do some of those same things online and they're not the same. And so yeah. I, I really like the idea of, you know, setting, establishing norms of practice for, you know, group work online and talking online and, you know, setting moderators. I think that's, that's a, that's an important concept. Yeah. And that, that goes now to circle back to your question. One of the principles uh, that we've sort of developed, uh, we haven't articulated it as a principle, but I would say this is something that we've developed as a principle is that there should be roles in groups. Like we've talked about that in face-to-face environments for a long time, but Um, But I think, again, in this context, you really need to have roles. You need to have like, okay, Ollie's job is Ollie is going to be adding things to the shared slide that we're going to share out when we go back to big, you know, to big groups. So he's the recorder, right? And then somebody else has to be this sort of um, facilitator host, the person who, who maintains the norms and also and make sure that people are getting getting their voices heard and, and all that stuff, right? So, so this, this idea of, role assignment becomes much more important in this environment, um, you know, where you're, where you, and, and you could see that, I mean, we haven't talked yet about, so I guess we should be explicit. We're talking right now mostly about remote environments, which is what, sure. I, what we're talking about now, right? Where it's synchronous and it's some sort of video-based um, thing where we're having a conversation. We haven't talked about online, which is like, you know, maybe a threaded discussion board and small groups and that we can get to that maybe later we'll focus on remote for now so that's one of the things is like having explicit roles and having those established beforehand for for each person right so that's one of the other things we're doing is we're not we're we're saying we're saying here's your small group and here's your role and we have that in like the shared slide and we have it in at multiple places so there's no you know scott's going to be reporting out ollie's going to be recording this person you know third person over here is going to be doing the hosting. And so that's all established before you even go into the group. So you don't waste any time saying, Oh, I don't want to be the reporter, you know, like this whole game of like, I don't want to do that. And I can see value with that, especially if you're going to be working with somebody or working with students for a long period of time, having those roles switch, you know, so this week uh, or this class, you know, this person's going to be the recorder, this person's going to be the, uh, reporter and then having that switch the next day or even switching multiple times if it's a longer period of time um, that you're meeting with the uh, students or meeting with a group. Um, right. And that's some of the things that I, I think people do when they're doing like cooperative learning type of things in, the, in their classrooms, they assign right. things. But I think the challenge is that so many people are just learning the tool, right? They're learning how to use Zoom or learning how to use, you know, Google Meet or whatever, and that they're not really thinking about, you know, taking some of the practices that we do in face-to-face classes and moving them online or being that strategic. It's like, okay, well, how do we put people in breakout rooms? Uh, like, where's that button? Or, okay, where does the right. hand, where's the hand-raising thing? Or how do I make yep. someone a co-host? It's, it's that sort of like, you know, just 
all of all of that right inertia right of like learning this this is yep. learning all, where all the buttons are it, yeah it, yeah it's made all it's made teachers all suddenly novices again right because the way that you do classroom management the way that you do grouping the way that you do even lectures or demonstrations and certainly labs like all that's gotten completely thrown up in the air and so yeah, you have to use this whole set of tools that aren't optional, right? It's not, you know, technology has always been, you know, you and I are sort of technology nerds. A little bit. Technology, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Technology has always been sort of like, it's great to use when it's necessary, um, but when it's not necessary, you don't use it. But now we're in this situation where, like, you don't have a choice. Like, you, you're doing Zoom. And um, so, yeah, learning the interface, figuring out, and and, you know, Zoom is full of weird things, like, the reaction button at the bottom only lets you do a thumbs up or applause. And then, but if you open the participant window, you get this whole set of choices. You can say speed up, slow down, yes, no, raise your hand, do all this stuff. And why are those in two different places? Because they seem like they're both feedback into the space, but they're, you know, so it's weirdness like that. Um, one other little cool thing that we figured out um, is that, you can set up a CSV file and uh, upload it to your Zoom meeting. So when you start your meeting, there'll be pre-established groups and you can rename those groups. And then as the people come in, they're automatically put into the groups. Um, and so you don't have to do that manual, like open up a window and move people around. And after, after that initial phase, you have to, if you want to change groups, you have to do that manually. <clears throat> but the initial phase lets you upload. But one tweak to that that makes it a pain in the neck is the only way you can do it is through the Zoom web interface. You can't do it through the Zoom app. So if you open up the app and try to do it, it's like, well, no, we can't do that. So now I got to go online. I got to set up a meeting. I got to upload the CSV file. And then when I start the meeting, all that stuff is there. So it's, you know, it's part of this is Zoom is trying to figure out what it's job is right like they're they're constantly i think trying to make the app better but it wasn't designed for what it's being asked to do i can i can visualize like the dozen listeners that we have are all like right now googling dozens. yeah the dozens uh <clears throat> what is a csv file right they're googling uh, that okay i i should know what it stands for but it's it's a generic format that's that works with um like in spreadsheets right right so it's a it's a non-proprietary spreadsheet format that lets you i think it what is yeah, i don't know are you are you googling csv i am not i am not do you know what csv stands i do for? not i don't excellent okay yeah so we have reached the limit of our technology knowledge we don't it's know what we got csv well, it's basically an Excel file that you can save as a CSV. So you typically, I don't yeah. even know how you would create a CSV file natively, right? How you would do that without. Yeah. Or like, if you can, right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe a hundred years ago, you could do that. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but right. It, it's something you create in Excel and then you save it as a CSV file because it's, it's not proprietary or, or it, and it's used in multiple places. I'm sure someone, right. some listeners going, oh, this is what it is, you know? Right. They know, they and know. they're also saying these guys are idiots and they're talking about it all incorrectly. So, but the point but is. It's in the file. It's in the show. It's in the show. It's in the show. <laughs> and, and, uh, and it's Excel or whatever you use numbers if you're a Mac person, whatever, some Linux 
open windows. <laughs> I don't care. You, you, you basically edit these things in some sort of spreadsheet software and then you export them at, at, in this file format. And it's, um, it just basically lets you create group names and then put people in groups. So basically you have a list of all the emails, you have a list of the group names and it pulls out the group names and sorts those people. So it's, it's nice. It's a nice little feature. Um, though it took a while to figure out how to make the, make it work because of the interface and all this, you know, so there was a lot of Googling of that. Yeah. I, I, I would anticipate that if it's a smaller class, like you're doing this because you have 30 and it would be hard to, to do and put those folks in, in groups all the time. But if you have a smaller class, you know, that would probably be, uh, probably harder to figure out the CSV file than just going and clicking, click, click, click. And yeah. And I think a lot of it is like, especially if you want like day one, you want a set of groups and then day two, you want a different set of groups and day three and day four, it just lets you sort of pre-populate that. Um, yeah. But I mean, we should probably talk about, I mean, one of the, one of the other things that we've been talking about and, and struggling with or thinking about is um, so when you put kids in groups, one of the realities now <clears throat> in zoom is that, unlike in groups in a classroom, you can't see all of them at once. Even, even in a classroom, you may not be hearing what's going on, but you can monitor what's going on in other groups, just, you know, keeping your head up and looking around like, oh, Ollie's over there and he's got, you know, Bobby in a headlock. We probably need to go have a, have a little chat with him and say that this is not how we behave in science class. But in Zoom, like those groups are all like they're their own little planets and you have to like hop from one to another. But when you're with one group, the other groups, who knows what's going on. So I think that's something that, um, that, that requires some real thinking. Like with teachers, I'm obviously much less worried about that, but you've got a bunch of middle school kids and they're in breakout rooms. Um, who knows you know, what they're showing, who knows what they're talking about. Who, and, and that would be something in a face-to-face -face classroom. A teacher can monitor that a little easier. Um, for sure. And yeah, that's another challenge for doing this. And, and I think that uh, in your discussion of principles, because I'm really interested in this, are, have you focused on, so definitely uh, assigning roles. Um, are there like collaborative tasks or are there questions that you've thought about that would be better to ask in this type of format than others? Cause I, I'm, oh, I'm, that's interesting. Yeah, because I, I think uh, like, giving them rather than just say, Hey, go discuss this reading or go discuss this. I think it needs to be just like talking about the, uh, structuring mm. these norms of practice, structuring these roles. I think giving more structured work is something mm -hmm. that I think is going to be necessary when we do this grouping. Like I, I think giving them, okay, I want your group to come up with four ideas for this and yeah. make sure you have explanations for each. Like, or giving them some collaborative creative task. I want you to, you know, somebody to draw this and model this and take a picture and be ready to share it. Um, mm -hmm. Giving something very structured, I think is something that's gonna give them, it's gonna help them rather than just like try to, that, that meaning making is gonna be hard here, right? Having yep. them, try to discuss their ideas and uncovering their misconceptions or uncovering their ideas is going to be hard here because there's such a, that distance. It's that in that online learning, it's that transactional distance, right? That's the, yep. that's the term yep. not to get 
esoteric. Yeah, right? you it's got like, esoteric there. I did, me. in fact. I apologize, but I mean, that, it's real. I think what we're we're experiencing is that concept of the transactional distance. Is that mm-hmm. as you add more distance between students and instructors, that we have to provide more structure and more communication, and we have to fill that gap. Uh, close that distance. This is the, mm-hmm. you know, online learning theory is that in order to close that distance, we do that through increased in commu- communication and increased structure. And that mm-hmm. I think is what we're, we're all seeing. It's just that we're not being intentional with that. And that's, I think, where your principles are coming from is that degree of intentionality in yeah. structure and communication. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think <clears throat> one of the things that we have seen is that we're spending a lot of time crafting questions, right? So, and by questions, not so much the, like what, what we would talk about in, in face-to-face teaching is like back pocket questions, which are like the kinds of questions you just have ready to ask kids as they're talking about science ideas, but more the sort of opening questions or the questions, well, maybe I should explain a little bit about the way that we're thinking about the pedagogy, right? So we've got a group of four people, they're working on Zoom, and they're creating together a shared document that's somewhere else. So for us, it's a Google slide, right? And so, that, so there are questions in a Google slide that they're filling in the answers to as a group. And then when we share out, every, that slide is in a whole deck where everybody's got their own slide. And so then they just have access to that. So when they're sharing out, everybody can see it because they can have it on their own computer. And the, the facilitator or teacher can share out that slide deck from there computer and sort of show where we are in it. Um, but that, that crafting those questions, because as you say, those questions have to do the heavy lifting because you're not going to be there as much, right? So that question or those questions or this structure that you're talking about becomes really important because it's doing so much of the work now. So I have two questions that come from, from that. One is, <clears throat> are the questions that you're asking, are they sort of the, the closed nature questions where they have a distinct answer what's like, mm. or are they more open questions to have them <laughs> explore? You're, set, okay. you're setting me up, right? I am. Qu- yeah. Question number two is, are the groups answering the same questions? So is group A answering the same questions as group B, or are they out? Are you giving different questions to different groups to sort of like, cause I, I can yeah. see both having value. So let's, let's start with question one first is open questions, closed questions, or what are you doing there? Yeah. Open questions. Right. So, um, and for probably obvious reasons, that's why I was th- saying, are you setting me up? Right. Cause if you, if you, if you set up, if you put a closed question in there, they're, they're done, right? They, they do their answer and then they're just done. So, um, so you have to have, especially in this environment, you have to have open questions where there's going to have to be talk and negotiation discussion. And then that's going to lead to, um, to them laying out some ideas. So I think they're, they are open questions. I mean, I think your, your second piece is really interesting because it made me think about what's different between the professional development we're doing and how you might do it with a group of kids in a science class, right? So the, so the classic way I think about what happens in a science class is you've got a phenomenon um, and you want, and, and let's say it's the first day of a unit, you're going to show them this phenomenon, um, whatever it is. And then the first thing you want them to do is to develop their initial explanation of that. So they're going to go into group and they're going to talk through it, right? And that's very open-ended. It's, it requires, and this is the hard part, facilitation, because as kids' right. ideas develop, you want to be able to push them. Now, one of the great things um, about 
having them work in a shared environment like Google Slides or something is that that is a way for you. You can't monitor what the kids are doing per se, but you can monitor what they're putting into that document. And so you can see all the groups at once or close to at once in this document where they're filling things in. And so that does give you a certain level of ability to monitor the different groups and say like, oh, they're, they're sort of off track here. I need to jump into that group and have a chat with them. Um, but that relies on them being able to put that information in a pretty coherent way into, into these documents, which brings up a whole other host of issues, which we started talking about too, with, which is like, how do, you, how do you organize that with kids who have IEPs or 504 plans or other special needs? Um, and those things are communication related, right, of different kinds. So, yeah. And, and, but to answer it, I guess, with the PD is we mostly are using the same questions. What's varying, at least in some of the groups is, well, we have two different things. We have the part when they're talking about content and the part when they're talking about pedagogy. In the pedagogy part, we are breaking them out into, with different focus areas, even though the questions are basically the same. And then in the, in the content, it's more that they're all sort of working on the same question and again, it's usually some explanation and then we're sharing out, a sh you guys all have developed your explanation of this thing. Let's talk about it. Right. That's, that, that's a, a cool approach, I think, is, you know, having them. So I, one of the things I, I posted, this is a blog post I, I wrote recently um, about what, what I like about teaching online is that participation, I, I use uh, this term, this is actually a, a a term that I picked up in one of my grad classes is uh, reification, right? Like, mm -hmm. like you're getting esoteric again. See, you're uh, doing it this time. I, okay, yeah, I enough. apologize. I apologize. But uh, that in online education, um, if you're using discussion forums, you're using, you know, a Zoom or a Google Doc or whatever, uh, participation, engagement, communication, all of that stuff is, is reified. It's like captured. And it's something that's, you know, if a student has an idea that they share in a classroom discussion of face-to-face, it happens in real time, but it just is out there, right? And you can't capture it to say, hey, you know what? Four days ago, you said this. And here you are four days later, and now we've, we've kind of moved you conceptually to this other place. But mm -hmm. in online, we can see that. We can capture that. We can even, in the Zoom conversation, record it, if that's permitted in, in the district. Um, you could record it and then say, okay, remember four days ago, this was our discussion. Boom. Here was where everyone mm. was. And now four days later, here's where we are. And so I think some of that provides some really cool opportunities for us as we talk about science, as we group in science, as we have these sort of discussions around science, that I think that that's, those are opportunities that I don't know if we're really engaging with, you know, mm. a lot, but I think there's some opportunities there that, you know, especially with grouping that can be very cool. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, but, but I, I, so I want to, I want to give two pieces of that that are not esoteric about reification <laughs> <laughs> um, that I think one sort of a, I think has been a positive in these environments and one I think is a real challenge. So I'll start with the positive, which is um, another tool that, that integrates really well with zoom is otter um, and otter it's otter.ai and it's a it's a tool that basically does transcription right so back to your point about like hey we had this discussion a week ago what were we talking about well now not only could we look at a recording 
But if, you're, if you've got your Otter account linked to your Zoom account, you, you can see a full transcript of that. Now it's rough and it's not perfect, um, but it lets you see, oh, look, like here, and the, the cool thing about this is that in Zoom, your, your, your recording, your channel is identified. So the name, the naming problem is a lot easier because your, your stream, Ali's stream is uniquely identified by his IP address. And so we know when speakers change, which is always a really hard thing, especially when you're doing sort of computer transcription. Um, if you just have a recording of a group of kids and you put that into something like Otter, it doesn't, it's very difficult for it to figure out who's talking. But in a Zoom environment, everybody's like, peep, 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 peep. So like I think Scott, that's Ollie, Scott, Ollie, rather than exactly a garbled mess. Right. Like who knows who's talking and what. It, so, so I think that's really cool. The a thing that I think we're having a hard time with is one of the pieces that I, we see as important. I think both of us um, in, in this idea of science instruction, going back to that is we want kids to build at some point shared explanations or models. And often the way that we do that in a classroom is some big whiteboard where they're all writing on it and they're drawing pictures and they're saying like, okay, here's what the molecules are doing and here's what's happening. And, um, and that is very difficult to do in an online environment. Um, that sort of shared drawing space, there are tools, but they're kludgy and typically only one person can draw at a time and everybody has to sort of watch that person. Um, so I think, I think uh, you know, we've looked at things like Nearpod um, as, and that has some interesting tools, but, but that sense of like creating a shared reification of our understanding, like this externalized representation of our understanding, that one is, is you know, suffers in these environments in ways that I think is tough right now. Yeah, I think one of the things that came up uh, in our conversation in, in a book that we were trying to write at one point, right? It was the, <laughs> back uh, in the day. Back in the day was uh, about learning leaves a trail, right? That there's a trail, right. there's like some leftover deposits that is the mm -hmm. learning process reified. And, yep. and while some of that can happen in online like discussions, I think in discussion, we haven't really talked about discussion boards very much, um, which are, I think, one of the most loved and hated parts of uh, learning management systems. Um, right. But we can talk about that a little bit more. But, um, you know, I see when, when I ask students to, to engage with a reading and then do something with it in a discussion forum, it's, it's reified, right? But it, it's mm -hmm. not the same as giving them a whiteboard and okay, I want you all to discuss this and everybody has a marking pen and they're all like drawing things and, and you get mm -hmm. to see all this cool representation of where, what their thoughts and what their conceptualizations are. And we don't see that in yet. We haven't seen it yet. They're, they're right. like you said, they're, uh, what was the word you used? Kludgy? Uh, Kludgy, <laughs> yeah. Kludgy. Yeah, yeah, right. So, well, I mean, and it gets to this point of like, written text especially type text is very formal right and and Absolutely. and writing with your hands and drawing is very informal and um it it's a it's a it's not only so there's lots of problems with that right in terms of what we're trying to accomplish if we want kids to just sort of get their ideas out like when you type you feel like you have to write in complete sentences you feel like you have to sort of formalize your thinking in a way that that is hard um, and, and, and puts sort of a layer between the kid and their thinking that, 
isn't great, right? So this idea of right, you're, what you're saying of just having a pen um, and that trail, that, that idea, like I talked about it in, a, um, in a, uh, an open innovation challenge thing at Penn State here, <clears throat> I call it residue, right? So oh, that's so right. this residue. idea that, yeah. So when you, when you have a learning environment, you produce artifacts, you produce reifications, and those things are residue of learning, but you want to hold on to them because they have value over time. Um, so I, I agree that there are affordances in, in online environments that, that support that, but they, they are either kludgy or they require this formalization like you're talking about when you're doing a discussion board where you have to type out your answers and then, and then you get into this space where it's like, okay, Scott has to post and then he has to go in and reply to three people and you yeah. get this very forced, like wooden conversation where it's not really organic. It's very, it feels very, it's, I agree. I agree. <laughs> yes. Right. Ollie has a great point there. Yeah. Which would never happen in a face-to-face -face environment, right? In a face-to-face -face no. environment, no one would raise their hand and say, I, I agree with Scott. And that's right. what they post. And well, nobody ever agrees with me. So, so yeah, it never <laughs> happened online or otherwise, but yeah. <clears throat> Right. But that, I think that's what people hate about discussion forums is that they're forced to, you know, hey, 500 words or you have to respond to two people or three people or whatever the requirement is. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that the other part is that the representation is limited to text. So we yeah. sort of, that's one of the, the but, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't no. have to. And I think that one of the things that I've been doing with some of my students is is so what one of the standard activities i do with my students post like if i assign a reading i don't just assign a reading i say i want you to do a close reading activity with this and it could be any one of these things so i give them usually a list of like five or ten different ways that they can because i want them to engage with the reading just like taking notes in the you know the corner of the page but one right. of them is is you know draw draw out what you're you know representate re represent it you know, so I'm trying to do yeah. some of that stuff that we would do in a, you know, a classroom, um, but then take a picture of it and, right. and, and put it in the discussion form. Now, and that comes back, circles back to the, you know, IEPs, 504s and things like that, which is a challenge. If, if it's a visual representation, what do we do with the student, you know, has a visual impairment right. or, or needs a screen reader? Um, and how do you do yep. an alt text for that? Um, and then we have to teach our students to put up all text. And so you yeah. sort of get, go down that, that rabbit hole there, which is a necessary rabbit hole to teach them that stuff. If, if we have students in our classrooms who, who need that sort of support. Um, but I think that we, in discussion forums, we're, we assume that it has to be text, but we could do videos. We could have them doing, you know, recording short little videos, um, either through Zoom or through, you know, just their cameras. Go off and just record yourself with a camera and just upload it into the discussion forum. So it doesn't, it, we, that forced representation of it being text-based is, is not accurate. It's, I think that we can have them represent their learning in other ways. Right. And, it, but I do think, as you point out, as soon as you move away from text, you get challenges, right? Um, you get screen reader problems, you get bandwidth problems, you get who knows what, like you, you, so, so text, the reason computers are great at text is because it's efficient, right? 
Um, so it's tricky when, as you say, when you move away from it. I mean, one of the things that it reminded me of uh, that we have done in an online class that I've taught in the past about this discussion board is trying to get past, like, how do you, how do you get, and I'm sure you have some ideas, so I want to hear yours too. I'm just going to throw this one out there. But um, how do you get people to engage in those online discussion forums in ways that are more productive than I post and then I reply to three people? Um, and one of the things that we established was this idea that um, at, at a few time points, usually a midpoint and an end point, one of the ways that we graded discussions was we asked the um, the students to go back and look at all of their posts and replies and basically make an evidence-based argument for their contribution to the discussion. So, so they had to actually say like, okay, I put, I put these ideas out there and here's where I replied and helped this person understand this thing. And so I, I think I've really been an active and, and productive participant in the community and letting people know that up, uh, ahead of time gives a little bit of, um, sort of broader pressure for participation. So it's not as specific as you must reply three times to three different people, um, but it forces them to be a little more thoughtful. So I'm curious, like what are there things that you've done in the past when you're doing online teaching to, to get beyond that, like just the you must reply three times thing? Yeah, so one of the, I'll, I'll, I'll circle back to, I think comes back to like the actual topic today is one is grouping. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I think how you group students, if you are, you know, say you have 30 students in a class, which I looking ahead to the fall semester, I'm going to have some some larger classes this fall because just, you know, the nature of our university right now. And so in one of my classes, I'm going to have 38 students, which is a large class. And mm -hmm. um, if I have 38 students in an online class and I put them all in a single discussion forum group that is going to be impossible for me to manage and impossible for them to actually have, you know, purposeful dialogue or discussion. So I think coming back to the, the topic of today's grouping is I'm going to break them up into smaller groups. I'm going to break them up so that they don't actually even see the other discussions that are happening. And I think some of it is the structure of what we do with them in discussion forums and kind of like what you were saying with these norms of practice and, and setting the groups for them to to discuss. If you give them a reading and say, here in your discussion forum, we want you to discuss this idea and then maybe have another group where you have somebody in that smaller group report back. Okay, here's what we talked about. And so I think it comes back to how we structure those conversations in that, um, those discussion forums and have it be something that contributes to a larger conversation. Um, one of the things that I do in, in my discussion forums in replies, I, I, I ban the, I, I agree. I don't let them, that's something. <laughs> and, and one of the things I, I asked them to do is to, um, to contribute to the conversation by bringing something new in, you know, so it's not based on, Hey, that they replied. It's that they've, they've carried the conversation in new directions, or they've added something new, contributed some new idea or some, some asking the students to sort of use whatever the weekly content is as sort of a springboard for them to go in. And especially this works with, uh, with teachers or, or, you know, when I'm doing classes like graduate classes with my, my students, um, when they 
they'll go off and say, okay, you know, I did this in my classroom. Here's something that I think applies. So it's almost becomes like a resource sharing thing. Now in a K to 12 environment, I would ask them like maybe, I don't know, to bring in something from the outside that they would apply. So if, if, if it was like, if I was teaching a physics concept, I would say, okay, we're talking about this. Uh, where else do you see this? Where else would you see this apply in, in the world? And it would also be a really good way for me to assess whether they understand the concepts because I would be like, well, you know what? You're, you're, we're talking about centripetal force um, and you've kind of, you know, this is an inertia. This is not centripetal force. This is not an example. You're actually talking about inertia here. And so it would be a really good way for me to assess whether they understand the concept too. So, I mean, I guess I kind of sort of yeah, they answered yeah, the question, right? Yeah, you kind of sort of answered it. And you, and, you, and you managed to stick, stick grouping in there, which is good. I like that because we're yeah. getting us back on topic. But I think it cycles back to the, the concept of this, this structure, right? It's if we're, mm -hmm. going to, if we're going to be doing this on, online, and it comes back to that transactional distance, which I, I know we, you know, we're trying to avoid the, you know, the conceptual and esoteric stuff, but I think it definitely applies here, is that as we start adding more and more distance between us and the students, that we have to be more thoughtful and purposeful, intentional, and communicate our structure to students. And it just mm -hmm. isn't like, hey, you know, because in a classroom, in our face-to-face -face environments, we can, since we're right there, we can rely on us being right there to make up for those gaps in, in management, right? We just say, oh, you know, I want you four to do this. And then when they're off task, we can walk over and, and say, hey, uh, you know, redirect the question, have that, con you know, you said that back pocket question, you know, to try right. to redirect them or, um, but in, in an online world, we don't have that. We don't have that same ability because of the distance between us. And so we have to be more purposeful and intentional in, in how we group them and in, in the things we ask them to do. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, I, th I think that actually is a good spot to wrap and transition to our uh, things that we uh, bring us joy. Uh, and we'll, we'll have to decide if, uh, if we have to come back to grouping or if we'll We'll, sure. we'll see what's next in the, but I thought, I thought that was a nice, uh, a nice way to finish things. Cause you, you tied, you tied some things together there. So. I added some value. Look at that. Woo. You did. I'm done. I, Drop I, I give you a eight out of 10 on your participation in today's oh. podcast. Oh, oh, thanks. Thanks God. <laughs> yes. Well, I want to get, I want to give you, I want to give you room for growth. I don't want to. Like, <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Room to go. So what's your recommendation? Um, so, so this week I um, did something that I haven't done in a long time, which is uh, I wanted to play a game. Um, I have, I'm not really a gamer guy, but I, I'm feeling like I want something to sort of, you know, besides like solitaire or so, those sort of like things on my phone. Um, so, so I started up my free trial for Apple Arcade and I downloaded some games and have been fiddling around with them. So the one that I've been playing that is bringing me joy, it produces no value except for the joy, I think, is called Ocean Horn 2. And it's like one of these like Zelda um, type games where you're a, it's, it's sort of a mix of medieval and, and technology. It's interesting, but you're, you know, typical sort of wandering around with a sword and you have to battle some things and solve some puzzles. And it's a, you know, a role-playing game type thing. Um, but I've been enjoying it and um, trying to remind, it, it reminds me that, uh, well, first of all, it reminds me that I haven't gamed in a while uh, and I'm pretty bad at it, especially in the beginning. But that, that part of the point of these games is to sort of 
you know, you're struggling and you're struggling and then you solve it. And there's a sense of like, wow, that was awesome. Like, even though it was, it was a stupid little thing that I did, like I figured out how to get that lever to move and that was a challenge or whatever. But, um, but it's been bringing me joy in, in little bits and pieces over the last week or so. I wonder whether we should add uh, gamification to our list oh of, I know. Must we? I don't know. But there are some, there are lots of things we can learn from, from games. And, yes. and I think some of those, I, I know it's sort of like out of, is this still? Okay. We'll, we'll put, we'll put it on the list. But. Well, yeah. We can talk about that, you know, off, off air, but uh, yeah. my recommendation. So what was your recommendation again? What's the game for? Uh, I'm going to double check, but I think it's called ocean horn two. Wow. It just rolls off the tongue right there. Doesn't ocean it? Horn. Yeah. That's it's, it, it has like a, it has like a colon. <laughs> of title, course it like, does. But I, but you know, I'm looking at my phone and I can't see what it is. So it's ocean horn two. You know, probably electric boogaloo. That's what I'm going nice. with. Ocean Horn Two, electric boogaloo. <laughs> um, my my recommendation is I, I started reading this book. Uh, Leaders eat last. I'm gonna hold it up. Oh yeah, I'm holding it up for Scott in the Zoom space. Um, Leaders eat Simon last. Sinek. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what happened. So um, someone sent me his TED talk. So he has a TED talk. Yep. Basically on this topic uh, of leaders yep. eat last, and then the same day. Uh, that someone sent this, another person who they, they don't know each other uh, was re- recommended the book to me. And mm. which was really, I, I was, I thought it was nature's way of telling me, Hey, I need to read this book. This is so, another Ali Dreon story of like, yeah, how things, you happen. know, sort of karma, kismet, whatever the word is. Yeah. It's right. Just like, okay. So when, when, when nature does this, I usually follow. And so I, and, and, um, so the book really, and I'm probably like a third of the way, half of the way through. And so right now it's a, about how leaders establish culture. And, and while I don't have necessarily a traditional leadership role, like I'm not a principal or a dean or a department chair or anything like right, right now, I think um, the intro um, I think is, is applicable to just people in general where it says, it, and this is, um, the, the foreword was written by George Flynn, who was a, a journal and uh, a general, excuse me, in the, the Marine Corps. Um, he says, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you're a leader. And so mm. I think that's a, a really broad, in, and he's drawn from John Quincy Adams there when he talks about that. But the idea here is that if you do any of those things, then you're a leader. And I think that that's where I go, oh yeah, maybe I need to read this book. And I think a lot of people need to read the book because I think where it takes you is it, it, the definition for them in leadership and how we inspire leaders and how we sort of embody leadership is about creating cultures, uh, creating culture in, in, in classrooms and in schools, in, in whatever enterprise or business we're working in that is more empathetic, more thoughtful about how we interact with each other. and because it's, it's about empathy. And so, so much right now is in that empathetic space. Yeah. And I think that definitely relates to how we interact online and definitely interacts with how we interact with each other and, you know, other teachers, other, you know, administrators. And, and I think that it's a really unique take on leadership, especially after an era that was not that, right? There was not much empathetic leadership. And, and, and that's not to get political. That's, I think, more of just a, the nature of the time that we've been in. Um, but I think that it's a, it's, a, it's a great read. And I think it's a necessary read for a lot of people, whether you're in a formal leadership role or not. So 
Nice. That's my recommendation. Uh, Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek. So yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah there you go. So uh, that's episode three for Science in Between. I think that's the it, that's what we're doing, right? Science in Between. That's what we're doing. It's that's in the doing. can, man. It is. All Boom. right. Done. Signature sign off. There it is. Lovely. Yes. Well, well I'm sure right, by man. episode ten we'll have something, right? We'll have some yeah, sort of. Yeah. We'll like, have something clever. Right, but not today. Like, See you in the in-between. <laughs> oh, nailed it. Wow. I, I just got chills. Yeah. I got chills. I know, right? Woo. Okay. All right. All right. Write, write that down somewhere. Yes. See you in between. Uh, see you in between. <laughs> All right.